Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Briefing Room. This is Andy. I'm here with... John. And, and our special guest... Eric. Tonight's episode is... The Conscience of the King. And uh, I think we'll start off with Eric telling us about this. Uh, Conscience of the King, in brief, uh, the, the plot of the story is that the Enterprise picks up a troop of Shakespearean actors, and it turns out that the lead actor, the leader of the troupe, is a mass murderer from Kirk's past, and the story revolves around Kirk discovering this and proving it, and how the whole situation is resolved. Excellent. Yep. Well, what do you think overall impressions, John? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, as I was telling Andy earlier at the, when we got through the credits of the show, I, I think there are things I, I like quite a bit about this as far as the dramatic elements of it and some of the acting. I, but other parts of it kind of, uh, not necessarily ruin it for me, but kind of put a damper on it for me. Principally, the, um, the acting of, of, of the lead Lenore character, she, uh, it's it's so over the top and you know at, especially at the end the, the the crazy house stuff which is is okay I can see arguing for it but it it, it kind of made me giggle a little bit certain parts and also some some of it's just a little bit implausible with the uh, uh, the, the the pickup lines and all that stuff and uh, other things but on, on a positive note I really I actually was surprised how much I liked the the actor who played Caridian. I think he, uh, you know, he he was right for it. You know, he he was obviously very dramatic, but I think it was totally called for in this case. Yeah, I liked Critian as well. Uh, the way the story is structured, you don't see as much of of that character as maybe you would have liked to. Uh, well, as we were uh, talking about before, um, this isn't one of my favorite episodes, and it's mainly because I think that uh, it's not science fiction. Uh, this is and a story that could have been done on any dramatic television show. And when I watch Star Trek, I want science fiction. So yeah, that, that kind of detracts yeah, we'd agree with that too. from it for me. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, it was Star Trek does Shakespeare, and I, I was trying to decide whether or not it actually succeeds in doing so. Um, in, in ways, Well, it I seems mean, like... It- Oh, go ahead. In, in ways, I think it does because it uh, it has Shakespearean characters and a Shakespearean plot. Uh, but um, I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I felt that there were too many implausible scenarios. The fact that the lieutenant just happened to be on Enterprise, happened to be the only other surviving witness to this guy's atrocities. Uh, See, I didn't actually mind that. No, I didn't much. either. Or even the, f- I thought it was, yeah, it, it's it's a little contrived, but I, I think it was worth it. It had a little bit of dramatic payoff in the story for me. That that didn't bother me actually. And and why were there no other witnesses? And because most why of did them they were feel killed. That, well, they said half of the people were killed, right? So there should have been four thousand people who survived. Well, how many of them actually had contact with the guy though? With the governor of the colony? I mean, would you recognize Palenti or Bush? Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe he uh, had most of his cabinet knocked off. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure, possibly. Uh, another thing that I was considering is, is, what about this romantic relationship between Lenore and Kirk? Is, it, does that pay off for you? I thought it was just kind of distracting. 
Well, but you have to understand why Kirk was doing that. I mean, um, he, he was obviously manipulating her from the very beginning. And, you know, whether or not he actually developed feelings for her, you know, the, the conversation between Kirk and McCoy at the end, you know, brings up a question, did he actually care for her? But, uh, you know, one thing that comes through, not maybe not so much in the first season of Star Trek, but uh, especially in uh, the second and third season, is that Kirk is not only a womanizer, but he's not, he apparently has no qualms about uh, using women for his own purposes or using anybody for his own purposes, but women in particular. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we were also discussing, which just kind of a, again, from the why did they do it this way standpoint, there there is kind of a bit of a contrived, and it could be good or bad, it doesn't necessarily be a negative thing, but... Uh, dramatic tension between Spock and Kirk over the fact that Kirk has decided to take this underground, basically, and, and pursue it on his own level. And I know he kind of explains that, but we, we were just drawing a parallel that if this story had taken place, or a similar set of circumstances had taken place in a Next Generation episode, that it would have been all, you know, let's get the team together and yada, 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 and get all this stuff. And and yet, Kirk, Kirk's going it alone on this one. You know, it's, it's, he's revenging his friend and all that. He doesn't trust anybody else to, to let him in on it. Yeah, I mean, you have a situation where someone's been murdered on the surface and someone's nearly murdered on on the Enterprise. And, yeah, with a you know, of Windex. And, and what's Bones doing? He's sitting in, in sickbay having a drink. Uh, well, to be fair, he was getting sloshed before Riley got, yeah. got uh, attacked. Okay, but... Which I thought was actually one of the funnier things in the episode. Well, especially where, when you know, he's trying Bones to get... Bones is obvious... You know, can, get Spock to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, uh, that, that was great. He, he, was, he was definitely, uh, you know, sloshed and... <laughs> Especially said, well, can you blame him for picking up that chick? (laughs) (laughs) That was hilarious. I'd forgotten entirely about part of that exchange. Yeah, I I think sometimes they they sometimes they try too hard to make Bones the foil for Spock, and and it just gets comical. I think that was intentionally funny, though. That that scene, at least. Uh, Well, yeah, I found it amusing. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, one thing, um, uh, but to address your question, John, uh, if you if you'll remember uh, that the kind of go it alone attitude that Kirk had in this episode wasn't unique by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look at Obsession; it was virtually the same. Oh no! In fact, you could even say this was a a pre- precursor of that. Even well, yeah. And uh, in some of the written reviews, I've uh, pointed out that. Um, Roddenberry style Kirk after C.S. Forrester's Horatio Hornblower. And this kind of falls in with that because, uh, you know, in the Napoleonic era on, in the British Navy, you know, you know, the ships were frequently out of touch with uh, the home bases, and the uh, captains could act autonomously, and well, they did. And not only that, but they very much were above and separate from the crew, even their first officers and so in a way i kind of see this as a hearkening back to that uh, that sort of concept whereas picard is more of a team player right it's a different take <laughs> on starfleet really yeah no it certainly it certainly is i just find it more interesting i actually didn't mind that it it's it it's it's pretty fun with in a dramatic way right 
No, I, that that is an interesting context to place the character in, though. Mm-hmm. That that we always have to remember where, you know, where the ideas for these characters came from. Right. Yeah. So, do you feel that um, Spock's attitude towards this aloofness from Kirk is is atypical? Because the, the one of the themes that we had in our previous um, podcast was was the loyalty that Spock would show, even in the face of irrational behavior. So wouldn't it be more like Spock to just toe the line and say, "Yes, sir"? Why does he feel the need to go in and question? Well, but you get, but that really is uh, completely contrary to Spock's character, uh, because Spock, yes, is uh, extremely loyal, but at the same time, he 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 balances his loyalty to the captain with his loyalty to the crew, and. You know, he even says in here, uh, basically that that um, you know he's looking out for the for the ship and the crew when Kirk starts acting irrationally. So it's not so much a matter of being disloyal; it's a matter of um, balancing those two loyalties. And and McCoy, you know, backs him up essentially with a really simple statement: he's just doing his job, and you know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which which is sums it up. <laughs> So that I mean that that definitely is uh, consistent. Right. Well, I think for me, Spock continues to be the most interesting character in the show. I just I love these little um, you know conundrums they put him in and the way he works through them. And and for me, it's the most human, which is uh, so ironic. The way they you know. So in other words, Kirk, Kirk actually you know is is coldly calculatingly using the woman to get to his objective. Yes. So, in other words, you know, Spock is almost acting more human than Kirk is, who is coldly using the woman as a tool to accomplish his objective. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just one example, though, that, that's not really representative of the whole show. Well, no. Um, but, you know, Spock was introduced as a character to uh, be a mirror, as it were, to, to be held up so that... Um, for analyzing, for taking a look at ourselves, for, uh, you know, looking at humanity from a somewhat objective standpoint. Oh, oh absolutely. Yep. I mean, they they have the same thing with Data and Next Generation. And sure. It's a common tactic. And an effective one. Oh, yeah. But I agree. Um, I, Spock, I think it's probably a toss-up for me um, whether Kirk or Spock is my favorite character out of the original series. Okay. What else? Um... Um, I have a question. Uh, what do you guys think? Was Lenore nutso right from the get-go, or um, was it uh, when her father was directly threatened and, well, and then when she killed him, that that really pushed her over the edge? Well, I think internally she must have had a lot of conflict trying to to come to terms with what he was because she'd been yeah. doing these these killings for some time i i think slightly crazy to completely bonkers maybe yeah. if, I, if i had to put it in that kind of a it definitely escalated kind of when a, she when she accidentally shot her father oh well, obviously so it was a matter of being breakdown yeah yeah. But it was there under the surface. Okay. Okay. The whole time. It's, as long as we're talking about the breakdown part, how, how about 
when all this is happening, the rest of the people in the theater are just kind of standing there. <laughs> I know. It's like, there's all these guys in red shirts. They're supposed to be running up and, you know, disarming her or something. And well, at first they react, you know, people running around going, ah, you know, and and, and then as it's going on, they're just, la, la, la. <laughs> the extras just kind of hang out. Well, you know, out. Kirk, I think, doesn't Kirk motion to them to stop as well? Oh, maybe he did. I, 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 I must have missed that. I, I, I thought at the time maybe uh, they should remember. have applauded when after she collapsed. Or <laughs> that would have been kind of good dark humor there. <laughs> yeah, that would have been really twisted. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they think it's still the play. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that would have been funny. I don't... A little too radical, maybe. For <laughs> then some geek in the back row, hey, that's not Macbeth! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, no, they were watching Hamlet uh, this evening. When oh, he got right, shot. right. Oh, that's right. It was it was Hamlet. It was Macbeth at the beginning. Yeah. Sorry. But was her whole speech from Ophelia, or was some of it from somewhere else? No, the the play the play's the thing wherein we catch the conscience of the king. That's the quote from Hamlet. Well, yep. One of the things that we were talking about um, the similarity between yeah, well, not with obsession, but with um, the Israelis going after the Nazis in the sixties. Because this was, you know, basically the same kind of thing, you know, except Obsession. Kirk is yeah. playing the role of Simon Wiesenthal. So, oh, right, right. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Codus. Well, I'm sure that they were thinking about that when they wrote this. Um, I think that the difference here is they wrote it in such a way that you can sympathize with the... What was his name? Kronos or whatever. <laughs> Kodos. Kodos, yeah. yeah because... It's portrayed in such a way that although he was responsible for these killings, it was under you know, a situation out of his control, a famine where either everyone would starve or if he pruned the population, maybe some would survive. And he chose the, the questionably you know, ethical solution. But it's still, and he was very conflicted at the end that he'd done this. Whereas I have a hard time sympathizing with anyone involved with yeah, it's it's kind of it strikes me as kind of a peculiar story for Star Trek. Not not only because it's yeah, you have to wonder what we all agree. Uh, Just it it seems just different. (laughs) Uh, The the whole flavor of it seems a little bit off compared to the to a lot of the other stories. Not not that that's you know again it's not a bad thing. It just uh, it especially after a while you know it comes after the Menagerie, which is well you uh, have to. Yeah, really. So, so well, you, great, and has uh, so, so well, much. Well, you know what? I one thing that I wondered was um, fiction, gen- the reason yeah, the, the, the menagerie came about was because they were they had a budget crunch and they was had this, to use all of the available footage that was they this had. A low budget so, one or something. You know, they built this, and that this one may have been. You know, okay, well, we got this script, and you know, we got to do something low budget, and so fine, take it and run with it because you know they didn't have right. any elaborate sets be. or anything like that yeah but pretty uh pretty much low low budget they they re they basically used a lot of existing sets that were made for other other episodes oh yeah put up some uh you know very minimalist shakespearean sets on i don't know it, lo- it almost looked like the engineering deck with the stuff cleared out of it i don't know yeah, yeah they reused a lot of that stuff so many times that uh, oh yeah Actually, when I saw the the planet scene where they found the oh, guy, so the dead this. body, yeah. it totally looked to me like the the set from Star Trek the movie The Search for Spock. Although I know it's not, but 
I just... That's the traditional soundstage plastic boulders, shrubs, yep. and it's, sand. It's the giant plastic <laughs> boulders and sand. That just... Yeah. They didn't even want to go outside. And... Uh, in spite of the occasional technical difficulties here, I, I think we've had a good discussion. So, any parting shots before we close this episode of The Briefing Room? John? Um, yeah, again, as I said, I, I find this one to be very very interesting, you know, the more you think about it. And uh, part, parts of it are, again, a little cringeworthy, but um, pretty decent. I, I, I was actually kind of dreading watching this one because I, I just remembered the Lenore character being so... So so laugh inducing at certain parts, but uh, re- really it, it it was a little better than I thought. So you know it, it's good. Eric, uh, nothing really that I haven't said before. I mean this isn't one of my favorites, but I don't hate it either um, because it was basically a well done episode. I mean there it has its flaws, of course, um, but uh, my biggest complaint, as you know, we established, is that it's it's just not science fiction, and so. I'll be anxious. It's no, it's no Spock's brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's a classic, John. Oh, is. <laughs> oh and that is science fiction, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I guess that just goes to prove that science fiction doesn't always solve. Well, it. I mean, but so is Plan Nine from Outer Space. I mean, there's good science fiction and there's bad science fiction too. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I have to say, um, I was a little bit outside of the experience watching it. The, the long, tight shots of Lenore and the absolutely goofy, boy-like, childish grin on Kirk and those extended scenes between the two shit-eating grin. <laughs> were, were a little bit laughable. But, you know, actually thinking about the topics that they're trying to discuss, I've, I've come to appreciate it more now that we've talked about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Good. It's always worth a watch. Okay. Well, this has been another episode of... The Briefing Room. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.